Well, good morning, church family. I'm glad you're here on this rainy Sunday morning. If you look to your left or your right, you will know very clearly that this is officially the sojourning season at our church. The students have gone, families are traveling the country, they're traveling the world, visiting all sorts of places. It seems like the only people that really stay put are the grad students here studying and the football team getting ready for football. People are all over the world. You see that, you see that, that every week here in, in the summer. You know they're visiting amusement parks, they're visiting national historic sites, they're visiting the great cities of our country. And when I think about it, I'm sad because the family vacation window in my family with my daughters is closing fast. There's a bunch of trips on my list that I'd like to take, and maybe someday that will be with grandkids, but I do want to take it someday. Um, one of the trips that I haven't taken with my family that I like to do is to Washington, D.C. And among all the things that I like to see there, one of the things I'd like to go to is the National Archives. I'd love to be able to stop and see the Charters of Freedom. You know, the documents upon which our country was founded, the Constitution, the, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights. I think it would be so cool to see those things. But if I'm honest, not only would I like to see those documents with my own eyes, but I know I would totally geek out at how those things are protected. Do you know that each document is maintained in a microclimate that is oxygen-free? They're encased in a titanium frame. They're secured behind bulletproof glass and with a plastic laminate that filters out ultraviolet light. And each case alone costs $5 million. And every night, yes, they do drop down into an underground vault that is supposed to be able to withstand an atomic blast. Oh, and if that's not enough, each document spends 24 hours a day under the watchful eye of a $3 million camera and computerized monitoring system. And it doesn't only monitor for security, it can detect microscopic changes to the parchment in the ink itself. Come on, that's cool. It's cool. But there's a message there, isn't there? You know, above, above and beyond the money, above and beyond the technology, it's about value. It's really about value. You know, we guard what we value, and we value what we guard. And today's passage is just that. It's about guarding something of great value. And my hope and prayer for us all today is that we will value this treasure a little more deeply and guard this treasure a little more fervently at the end of our time together. So with that, will you please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, version says chapter 1, but it's chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Will you please stand when you get that passage? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier entangles, gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Amen. Please be seated.
you're saying right now, guarding, huh, John? I, I'm not seeing it. Yes, I know. I know. But let's look at the context. Remember, 2 Timothy is a book about Paul at the end of his ministry. And he's giving some final words of advice to his pastoral protege, Timothy. And it's not something, something for us just to sit by and idly look at because we're all part of the priesthood of believers as followers of Jesus. So these admonitions to Timothy really extend to us. And the first part of chapter 1 culminates with some commands to Timothy and, and to us. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. What are we guarding? What is this deposit? Well, it's everything that Paul wrote about in the New Testament. It's the gospel in the fullest sense, the entire content of the Christian faith. It's the pattern of living that results from right doctrine, the pattern from sound words that you've heard from Paul. It's the gospel. And right after this command, we get a brief examination of people in verses 15 to 18 who did not follow and guard this deposit set up against, set up against the example of Onesiphorus, which then leads to chapter 2. The two first words, you then. This is emphatic. Paul is saying, listen you, listen Timothy, I have something important to tell you. And what he's going to tell us, tell Timothy and tell us, is he's going to give three ways that we can actually guard this good deposit. In this passage we'll see that Timothy is charged to guard the good deposit of the gospel by first living in the strength of the gospel. Living in the strength of the gospel. And Timothy is charged to guard the good deposit by, second, living in the stream of the gospel. Living in the stream of the gospel by passing it on. And thirdly, Timothy is charged to guard the good deposit by living in the storm with the gospel. By living in the storm with the gospel. Preparing for and enduring hardships along the way. This is Paul's call to Timothy. And it's Paul's call to us. So let's look at the first way to guard the gospel. Look at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you want to guard the gospel, you need to be strong in the gospel. You need to find strength in the gospel. The grace given to you by Jesus himself. And it isn't just a one-time thing where we find the strength. Linguistically, what's going on here is a continuous sense. This is a command to be, keep on being strengthened every day, every moment. Well, how are we strengthened in the grace of the gospel? Well, we're strengthened in the gospel when we know grace in our head. When we love grace with our hearts and, and when we live grace with our hands and our feet and our mouths. We need to get grace to understand the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve and can never earn. Let us never forget that because of our sin, you and I were separate from God. We were enemies of God. We were condemned to death and eternal damnation. But we received a free gift 
that Jesus Christ gave to us when he took up his life, put it on the cross, died on our behalf, was raised in power. And now we who are dead and far from God are alive and are his children. Behold what manner of love it is that we can be called the children of God. That's grace. Listen to this definition of the gospel by theologian Ed Stetzer and listen for grace. The gospel is the good news that God, who is more holy than we can imagine, look with compassion upon people who are more sinful than we could possibly admit, and send his son Jesus into history to establish his kingdom and reconcile an alienated world to himself. Jesus, whose love is more extravagant than we can measure, came to sacrificially die for us so that through his death and resurrection we might gain, by God's sheer grace, by God's sheer grace, I'll say it again, by God's sheer grace, accepted by our faith, what the Bible calls eternal life. The whole purpose and work of God in the gospel is founded upon grace and is finished with grace. Grace is the cause, grace is the work, and grace is the result of the gospel. And again, this grace is not a one-time thing. It's an every moment of everyday thing. I love what James says in his book in chapter 4, verse 6. He's in the middle of warning Christ followers against loving the world, and we get these five words. But he gives more grace. Grace frees us from sin. Grace saves us, gives us new life, a new name, a new identity, a new hope. Grace gives us the ability to extend grace and to love others. Grace gives us strength to continue to endure and continue when we are hurt, when we're lonely, when we're afraid. Grace gives us hope. Someone is there for me. Grace makes us grateful. Someone did something on my behalf that I could never do. Being strengthened by grace means that your strength is found outside of yourself. You're not limited to your own strength, but can live in the limitless grace of God. He gives more grace. You see, we guard the good deposit by living in the grace of the gospel. But hear this. We can't guard what we don't have. And we won't guard what we don't love. And we don't guard what we don't live. Let me say that again. We can't guard what we don't have. We won't guard what we don't love. And we don't guard what we don't live. You see, we're strengthened in the grace of the gospel when we know sound doctrine, when we're orthodox when our head is impacted by the truth of grace. We're also strengthened in the grace of the gospel when we love the giver of sound, gosh, the sound doctrine, when we worship the giver of sound doc- doctrine with our heart. We're also strengthened in grace when we live sound doc- doctrine, what some call orthopraxy. When we extend the grace that we received inwardly, we extend it out to a lost and dying world. This threefold pattern of being strengthened in the grace of the gospel is not new in this, this, uh, this verse. Look at verse 13 again in chapter 1. Follow the pattern 
live the grace. Of the sound words, know the grace that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Love the grace. Love the giver of good grace, of this good deposit. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, maybe two out of three aren't bad. I'm working out. I'm, I'm doing well at it. But let's not forget that really these are inseparable. These components are inseparable. You can't live the gospel if you don't know the gospel, right? You, you can't do that. But you probably really don't know the gospel if you're not living the gospel. True? And you're not going to live the gospel if you don't love it. It's too much of a cost. If you look at verse 7, we see that we're called to think about these things. That's what Paul was calling Timothy to do, and we're called to do it. And by his grace, we're told that God will give us understanding. So what I like to do periodically through this message is I want us to take a gospel inventory of our lives. So I'm going to list off a list of questions. I'm not asking for you to write them all down, but if one comes, strikes your heart, strikes your mind as something you want to chew on or if you feel you need to work on, I want you to consider them later and hopefully you would consider it with others. So gospel inventory number one. Do you, do you know the gospel? To know the gospel means to know the Bible. Do, do, do you know the Bible? Do you know the message of this book? Do you understand what the Old Testament is and what the New Testament is? Do you understand how they work together? Do you understand the books of the Bible? Do you understand what each of them says? And again, how they all fit together and point to Jesus. You see, we can't tell and live and love the old, old story unless we know it. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the book of the gospel? Do you love the gospel? Do you find joy and hope and grace that you've been shown? Do you find peace and strength in your new identity? Do you treasure this truth? Treasure it. You know what I'm talking about. The affections of our heart. And more importantly, do you treasure the giver of this great gift? Do you treasure God himself and not just what he gives? Do you live the gospel? Do you share the grace and hope of the gospel with others? Do you seek to bring mercy and, and peace and hope and justice that's been extended to you through Christ and the gospel to this lost, hurting, and dying world? Here's one. Do you forgive in your relationships? Do you extend grace and mercy to those who can do nothing for you or harder yet? hurt you. What's your gospel strength? Are you a knowing man or woman? Maybe you, maybe you love to love. Maybe you're all about living out our faith. Build on those. Keep capitalizing on those. But don't forget your weaknesses. How can you grow in your area of weakness? What are some actual and achievable steps you can take this week to grow in your knowledge and your love and your life when it comes to being strengthened in the gospel. And just as important, who will you invite to join you and keep you accountable? Work it out this week. And if you fail, and if you fail, be strengthened by the grace that is in 
Christ Jesus. As John puts it in his book, John chapter 1, verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And James again, still he gives more grace. May we be strengthened in our life, in our love, in our knowledge of this good deposit we've been given. You know, the first pastor to bring me on his staff as an intern was, was a man by the name of uh, Kent Hughes. I'm very grateful for him. He entrusted and, and strengthened me with the gospel of grace. And he has something I think that's very, proud, uh, very profound to say about this good deposit of the gospel. He says this, The gospel is everything. We must guard it by being strong, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ, we have the grace, grace upon grace, the inexhaustible goodness of God, free grace, saving grace, strengthening grace. Nothing that we will encounter in guarding the gospel will exceed God's grace. Let me say that again. Nothing that we will encounter in guarding the gospel will exceed God's grace. We guard the good deposit by living in the strength of the grace of the gospel. But Paul continues, and he says we also can't guard something if we, if we don't give it away. Look at verse 2. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Again, this isn't a new concept that we find in, in 2 Timothy. This, this idea starts with Jesus himself. Listen to his commissioning of his disciples before his return to heaven. From Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you know what happened? They taught others to observe all that Jesus commanded. And they they taught them how to teach others. And those folks taught others. Who taught others? Who taught others? Who taught others? Who taught others? Who eventually taught someone who taught you. This has been the work of Christians in the church since we were sent out by Jesus. You know, for the first few centuries, as the church was figuring things out, councils would actually convene and they would create creeds, these statements of faith that refuted heresy and set boundaries for what Scripture actually teaches. And in the Nicene Creed in 381 AD, the the church is first described as apostolic. This is important. The church is apostolic and is to be apostolic because it's founded upon and is faithful to the word of God given through the apostles. Now early in Jesus' public ministry, he called his disciples to him and chose 12, and they were designated apostles. And at the end of his ministry, he prayed for those who will believe through their, the apostles' message. You see, we are part of an apostolic movement. Well, the apostles are dead and gone. So what does that mean for us to be part of this apostolic movement? Well, theologian Edmund Clowney, I think, puts it best. He says this, To compromise the authority of Scripture is to destroy the apostolic foundation of the church. The physical continuity of a line of pastor elders 
back to Christ's apostles is insignificant compared to the continuity between the teaching of the churches today and the teaching of the apostles. Only with the apostles' teaching is the church, as Paul describes it in Timothy, the pillar and foundation of truth. Part of guarding this good deposit is passing on this apostolic message, the sound doctrine of the Bible, which gives us the gospel in full. And never forget, we are here because someone obeyed this command and passed it on. But let's also not forget that we can't pass on what we don't know or love or live. Imagine with me for a moment, we, we finally found our lead pastor and, and we're about to hire him, but he's a lover of fine American art. So he says, I'm going to come, but the only way I'll come is if you get American Gothic. You know the, the painting with the farmer and his wife, very stern looking with the pitchfork? He says, I want American Gothic. I want that to remind me to be sober. So I want you to get that for me and put it in the office in 611 South. We're like, this guy is great. So we're going to go get it. So we go negotiate with the Art Institute. We pick it up. Well, we, 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 we don't pick it up yet. We, we, we get it all set up. And then we decide we're going to go pick it up. Well, we need to send our best people there. So, of course, we're going to send a pastoral apprentice. So we, we get Matt Wiley to go down and do it. And so he's about to drive down. He realizes that his car doesn't work. So he's going to borrow the Cueva's Jeep, because Jeep is supposed to be safe, right? Good. He goes, he goes to Backlot, Sam Van Skoik, gives him some expertly crafted craft coffee to, to, to help him get down there. So he gets in his car, he goes, let's say he goes, now, now think about this, think about these different scenarios. What if when he gets there, he doesn't know what this painting is? And he just gets handed something and he just brings it back. Or what happens if he, he got there and he didn't really care. He just took it. He threw it in the back. There was something in the back. It broke through the painting. He, he scuffed it up. You know, maybe he spilled some of that craft coffee all over it. Or what happens if he's driving down Lakeshore Drive and he looks back and he goes, this thing is kind of off a little bit. So I'm going to add my own touches. So maybe a mustache or an eye patch or something. Or what if he gets there and he sees the painting and he goes, uh-uh, this painting isn't for us. I know what's best. I'm going to choose my own painting. All of those are failures to guard the painting. That was the, that's what we told him to do, to guard it and to pass it on. Let's be very careful when we handle something much more precious than a, the American Gothic painting. Because the same is true with the gospel. We need to know it. And we need to treasure it. And boy, we need to not commit to tweaking it to fit our own desires or interests. And God help us if we change it. That is a failure of the utmost for the church and for us as his followers. I'm so grateful to be part of a church that values and obeys this command. You know, we have something called EBF Launch, where we offer internships and apprenticeships and and residencies. Our internship is to help expose college students to to the ministry of the local church. Our apprenticeships are set up to to help students who are looking to go into full-time ministry to gain ministry experience. I'm excited that we we recently added a missions apprentice 
And this, uh, this fall, we're, we're planning to add a women's ministry apprentice for the first time. And we offer these residencies for folks we believe will, will help us expand our ministry in Evanston and beyond. Danny Russell is currently serving as our church planning resident. This is part of our legacy, Evanston Bible Fellowship. The intentional training and trusting of gospel ministry to the next generation. May this always be a part of who we are. May we always obey this command. Before you start letting yourself off the hook, because we have a church program, remember this is a call for all of us to guard the good deposit by passing it on. So gospel inventory number two, think over these things and God will give you understanding. Do you know the gospel? Not just the Bible. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the story of the gospel in the Bible? Do you understand the person and the work of Jesus? Do you know what happened on the cross? What happened at the resurrection? And because of that, do you know the call and the purpose of the church in the world? I'll ask it again. Do you love this gospel? Do you treasure it? Do you live the gospel? Who is passing gospel truth on to you right now? Who is showing you how to live a gospel life? And to whom are you passing on the gospel life and ministry to right now? It's our call. It's our job. It's our mission. We guard the good deposit by living it and passing it on. Whether our physical children or our spiritual children. We can't just live it and pass it on. We need to prepare to share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. And this is what Paul continues to say in verses 3 through 6. Share in the suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have their first share of the crops. Guarding the gospel is more than just living it and passing it on. It means that we, we will be willing to and actually endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Of course living, living for the gospel is going to involve suffering. It's a given. It's because the gospel demands a response. There's no middle ground. We are either open to the gospel or we are opposed to it every minute of every day. And it's out of this opposition where suffering can take place for the sake of this gospel. Paul understood this, and he understood that it went way beyond human disagreement. In his letter to the Ephesians, he describes this opposition in these cosmic terms. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle that has been going on since before the Garden of Eden. Now we know the enemy is defeated, but he's not vanquished. So of course, living and loving and passing on the gospel is going to be met with opposition, which again leads to suffering. And we know Paul is no stranger to suffering for the sake of the gospel. Listen to his famous listing of his suffering from his book, his, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 24, starting at 24. 
This is Paul describing his suffering for the sake of the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me. on my anxiety for the church. And do you see verse 3? Do you see verse 3? Do you see what he's calling us to? He's saying share in the same thing. But by God's grace, he offers us three examples that speak to this type of endurance. He gives us the soldier, he gives us the athlete, and he gives us the farmer. Look at those, verses 3, 4, and 5. What are we shown? Well, the way we, we prepare for and the way we endure hardship is, is to maintain the loyalty and single-mindedness of a soldier. He doesn't get entangled in external pursuits. He's got a job to do. His sole aim or purpose is to please his superior. That's a great way to, to get through hard times, isn't it? Or look at the integrity of the athlete. He competes for the prize, but he can only win if he competes by the rules. Just ask Lance Armstrong about that one. There's a glory in giving your all and competing according to the rules to get a great prize. And the expectancy of a farmer. He toils and for what? To be able to enjoy his crops, the fruit of his labor. But boy, he toils. All these images involve sacrifice, don't they? They involve hard work. But, but again, look at the particular focus here of loyalty, of single-mindedness, of integrity, and expectant toil. And don't, don't miss the hopefulness here. These images, while they start with the possibility of death, the possibility of intense pain and competition and struggle and the relentless, unending hours of toil, they all have a good end. They all have a good end. Beyond warfare is victory. Beyond the athlete's effort is the prize. Beyond the agricultural labor is the crop, one pastor puts it. And how much more will we have at the end of our struggle? These are the enduring and hopeful qualities that Paul wants Timothy and us to grasp as we prepare to share in his sufferings. Are you ready? Are you ready to share in these sufferings for the sake of the gospel? Are you preparing? Well, one last gospel inventory to track and shape our preparation. Think over these things and God will give you understanding. Are you working at your faith? Are you putting work in to be with God and to be like his son Jesus? Is your trust, commitment, and obedience to the Father 
growing today? Are you single-minded in your pursuit of God and His gospel? And if not, are you identifying the idols in your life that are taking away from that pursuit? And more important, how are you working to uproot those idols? What's your aim with this day, with this year, with this life? Who are you trying to please? Yourself, others, or God? Are you living life with integrity, with every area of your life being integrated into pursuing and pleasing Jesus? Are you living out God's design and under His rule when it comes to money, to sex, to power, to time, to work? Are you working hard with hope and expectancy? Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling while you are believing God can come through in this life and the next? Are you holding on to hope? Where do you need more faith? Again, make changes where you can make changes. Invite other people into the fight with you. And lean more on God who gives more grace. Brothers and sisters, we, we are here in Evanston in 2018 as just one link in this incredible chain of this, this gospel message, this good deposit. We've been given a job to guard this good deposit, this gospel message, this gospel life. And we've just been given some tools to guard it. We guard the good deposit by living in the strength of the gospel. We are strengthened by the gospel when we know it, when we love it, and when we live it. We guard this good deposit by living in the stream of the gospel, by knowing it and treasuring it, protecting it, and passing it along. And we guard this deposit, good deposit by living in the storm with the gospel, preparing for and enduring hardships along the way. That's the call for Timothy, and that's the call for all of us. As the solo pastor of Evanston Bible Fellowship, can I just say what a good word this is for us here today? What a good word this is for us here today. This is not a lead pastor's church. This is our church. This is our ministry. This is our work, all of us, together. This is a time in our history, maybe more now than ever, for us to come together and guard this good deposit that we've been given. To get to the tense of the verb, let's keep on guarding this good deposit. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing. I'm so encouraged as I look around and, and people want to, to guard the deposit, good deposit by knowing it. Our ethos communities, one ethos community, the North Everson community, is, is studying this summer how to study the Bible. The North Campus community is studying discipleship and evangelism and the doctrine of God. They're knowing, they're knowing the deposit. They want to know that so they can guard it and pass it on. That's a gift. You don't want to know another gift? Right now, right now, 
in North Park, Tommy Doles, one of our ministry interns, is preaching at one of our church plants, Chicago Gospel Fellowship. Think about that. What a gift, what a legacy for us that we have helped prepare and build up Tim Ophis and his team to go and plant in North Park. And now we're building up another brother who can go and minister to them by preaching to them today. We are doing this. Let's keep doing this together. And this can be a time of, of, of suffering in the sense of hard toil. And I don't know if we're suffering yet within Evanston for the sake of the gospel, but we're suffering right now. We're, we're enduring hard toil. It's hard work this year. I think of the worship team who has, who has led us faithfully and expertly for the last many months. Talk about expectant toil of working while they're waiting for a leader. We see you. We're grateful for you. We thank you for your work. I think of the summer volunteers who arrive and there's, there's not enough volunteers who stand in, who will come early, who will stay late, who will go above and beyond. Thank you. We see you. You're guarding the deposit. And standing along with them are the spouses of those volunteers, of those staff members and those elders who have spent countless hours at home alone you're guarding the good deposit. Let's keep on guarding the good deposit. It's hard, but it's worth it. We want to be, we need to be a source of gospel light and hope here in Evanston. And we need to be a source of gospel light and gospel hope for each other. Remember, our, our fight is, is not against flesh and blood. May we not fight with each other as we move forward. And we fight together. Let me close with the words of Paul for all of us as we consider guarding this good gospel, guarding this good deposit in this season. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. What we do is not in vain. So let's keep on. Let's keep on. Let's keep on. Brothers and sisters, are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the faithful uh, who have gone before us, who have guarded this deposit. And because of that, your name gets to be proclaimed and worshipped this morning. We thank you for those faithful ones. Father, we know that this is not an easy task, so I pray that you will empower us to be strengthened in your gospel, to live gospel lives, to love the gospel, and to pass it on. And Father, may we be, may we be steeled by, um, uh, by what you've done, the examples we have today. Father, as we go... May we live in the strength of your gospel, and may you get the glory. Amen.